welcome to the Pearsfield Oliver podcast. I'm Louise Oliver and I'm delighted to be joined today by Kate Daly. Kate is co-founder of Amicable, the top 100 UK startup that is changing the way that the world divorces. Kate is also host of the Divorce Podcast. In 2018, Kate was included in the Maserati 100, the Sunday Times list that recognizes game-changing entrepreneurs. Kate is popular in the media for offering legal and jargon-free explanations of the divorce and separation journey, as well as legal analysis. Our topic for today is amicable divorce settlements, no-fault divorce, the biggest change in divorce legislation in England and Wales in 50 years. Now, firstly, Kate, can you share with us the background to Amicable and why, together with Pip Wilson, you founded the company? Hi, Louise. It's brilliant to be here. Thank you for having me. I had what I can only describe as a train wreck divorce. It was utterly devastating, emotionally draining, financially devastating as well. And I came to the end of that process, kind of scratching my head and wondering how on earth it could have all gone quite so wrong. And at that point, I was going back to work and I decided that I would want to try and help people to navigate this process in a much better way. So I first started to work with local lawyers and lawyers in London, trying to help them help their clients to navigate divorce and separation in a better way. And I learned a lot from doing that. And I trained collaboratively as well. And I sort of got to the end of that thinking, okay, well, I think there's a real opportunity to help couples. And I tried to persuade the lawyers to come in and to try and do something together so we could help people. But without wanting to be rude to everybody, lawyers aren't the most sort of innovative people. And the idea of fixing fees or doing things in a more sort of multidisciplinary way in those days just didn't appeal and it was too difficult. So having tried to work with them, I decided I'd have to set up something entirely different. And that's where Pip, my co-founder, came into it. I knew I wanted to do something different, but I had no idea how to scale a business or how to make it noticeable to people who were going through this. So Pip brought the idea of using technology to scale the business. And she had vast experience of having scaled a company herself, a tech company, and she had just sold it. So as we were already friends and I had been badgering her while she was on her maternity leave to try and help me understand how on earth I could scale this business. I think she caved in in the end and said, right, let's do it together. And so we founded Amicable. Well, it's amazing that you did, Kate, and you've also lobbied really hard for changes in legislation. And now, you know, we're on the cusp of that, which is amazing. Now, since you formed Amicable, what's been your experience of the couples that are open to an amicable divorce? What's sort of been your experience and how have you been able to help through the services that you offer with Amicable? So I think, I suppose at the beginning of this process, Pip and I kind of conceived that we would help people via just a technological route. So the biggest sort of surprise to me was when we developed an app that helped people prepare for a divorce, we got a lot of feedback to say, that's great, but we then don't want to have to go off to two separate lawyers once we've done our prep through you guys to actually then facilitate a divorce. So the biggest learning at the beginning was that people wanted us to do 
all of it. Whereas we hadn't really conceived of that. We'd conceived of setting up some really lovely technology to help people prepare, to provide them with a platform to cooperate and to communicate with each other. And then we'd assume that they would go down a traditional route to sort of execute that. But I think it became pretty obvious pretty quickly that people just wanted to stay with one organisation and to have their whole divorce managed along with their children arrangements and financial arrangements. So I think that was sort of the biggest thing. I guess my own personal experience wasn't that I'd had an amicable divorce and I had had to try and negotiate and sort out my children arrangements under the threat of litigation all the way through. But what we wanted to create was a space for people who, you know, maybe they had an aspiration to be amicable rather than there was huge amounts of kindness in the process for them or in the relationship at that point. But we wanted to create a space where people could come and they could start that journey having some emotional coaching and getting it all set off on the right foot and in the right way. So Pip and I understood from the outset that the emotional journey was the key to providing people with a good service and enabling more people to be able to negotiate an outcome together and stay out of court and away from litigious language and litigious processes. Yeah, and in a way, when you think about it, when couples are embarking on going through a divorce, it's really quite a step, isn't it, to go and see a lawyer, to actually go into a lawyer's office and say, you know, I'm considering a divorce. It's nerve wracking and you feel like you're pressing that button and off you go. And with a service like Amicable, I feel it's less threatening in a way because you don't physically have to see someone in person. And of course, we've been in this world of online and zoom and just to go through and make a start in that process in a non-threatening way has been really positive and I know the team at Amicable have certainly worked with some of our clients here at Pierceville Oliver and got them through to uh, the end of their divorce process in a really smooth way I mean all divorces are stressful but you know it just takes a little bit of that stress away going through that kind of a process so I can say from our feedback and our experience that the service that you offer certainly has helped for those people now just moving on Kate to the changes in the law that we're seeing coming in on the 6th of April can you explain just briefly what the current law for divorcing couples is and what the new legislation for no-fault divorce will mean Yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, well, for the next couple of hours, at least till 4pm on the 31st of March, the current system means that if you haven't been separated from your partner for two years or five years, then you have to blame one of you has to blame the other for the breakdown of the marriage to prove to the court the marriage is irretrievably broken down. And once you've done that, you file a petition The petition goes to the court, the court sends it to the responding partner. So one person petitions the other person for divorce. It's sent to the partner. The partner responds to say they've received the paperwork and that they're not going to defend the divorce. And then somebody, the petitioner, the applicant, applies for what's currently called a decree nisi, where the court looks in a little bit more detail at the reasons for the breakdown of the marriage and makes a judgment on whether or not the marriage has broken down irretrievably based on the evidence you have submitted, which is either a petition for adultery or a petition for unreasonable behaviour, or in some very few number of cases, a petition for desertion. So the court is deciding whether or not your marriage has broken down. And then once the decree nisi is pronounced, 
you then have to wait six weeks and one day before you can apply for a final decree called a decree absolute. And then the process is over. And that's just a simple divorce. Now, most people have financial and children arrangements to make in the middle of all that as well. The new law changes four fundamental things. So first of all, we're moving to a no fault system. So instead of the court deciding whether or not your marriage is broken down, you will decide whether or not your marriage is broken down. So you'll still have to tell the court that you feel your marriage has broken down irretrievably, but you won't have to prove to the court why that is. And that feels like a much more person-centered and appropriate response in this day and age. It shouldn't be any of the business of the state, as far as I'm concerned, to judge whether or not your marriage is broken down. That's a decision for you as a couple. So that's the first thing that we'll move. We'll go to what's called a no-fault system. The second thing is that for the very first time, as we were just talking about earlier, if you are wanting to do things in a more amicable way, you often want to do them jointly. So for the first time, you'll be able to apply for a no-fault divorce as a couple. And that reflects many more people's experiences. It's the case, isn't it, that lots of people agree together mutually that they're no longer in love, that the marriage is irretrievably broken down and they want to divorce. Under the old system, one person had to divorce the other. But under this system, you'll be able to do that jointly. So there won't be an applicant and respondent. There'll be two applicants and you'll jointly be able to petition for a divorce. So again, it's a change that will reflect for many people the reality of their situations. You'll still have the option to apply as a sole applicant if your circumstances aren't quite so amicable, but that's kind of one of the big changes. Now, the third change is linked to that. We're going to move to a system of what I've sort of described as one out, both out, which means it's no longer possible to defend a divorce. Now, that's not really such a big change because in reality, there's only been a very small number of successfully defended divorces in recent years. But with the new law, you won't be able to dispute the divorce unless there are three specific legal grounds. And they are that the marriage isn't legally valid, that you're already divorced or that you believe you should be divorced in a different country. So the one out, both out is if one of you decides the marriage is over, then by default, the marriage is over. Because ultimately, if you think about it, that is the case. If one person says this marriage is over, then it sort of doesn't matter legally whether the other person agrees. If one person says it's over, by definition, it has to be over. So that brings that change into effect. And then finally, the language is going to change as well. So hopefully uh, making it more accessible and simpler for people to do this part of the process themselves. So out goes the outdated Latin. So decree nisi becomes conditional order. Decree absolute becomes final order. The government's sort of done quite a few changes to the online system to make it simpler for people, litigants in person, that's people who aren't doing it through solicitors and don't have somebody representing them, to be able to go onto that system and manage that themselves. And I think your point earlier, it's really worth remembering, you said people sort of often, it's a big deal to go to a lawyer. I think it's just worth pointing out, you don't need a lawyer to do your divorce for you. You can do it via the government website yourself, or you can use other divorce services companies, obviously like ours, and it's often a lot cheaper. So there's no requirement to use a lawyer. And I think that's kind of quite key for people. Yeah, and Kate, it's, it is about time that this happened. There was a landmark case, wasn't there? Uh, Owen versus Owen. 
and Mr. Owen did dispute the divorce. And I think there were 17 areas where she earmarked the condition, you know, the reason for the divorce, but the court threw it out. And she had to wait for the five years. You know, do you think that case, and I'm pretty sure that it was, helped the cause of getting to this stage where we are now? There's no doubt about it. It absolutely was pivotal in moving the legislation forward. It can't be right for someone to trap somebody in an unhappy marriage. And I'm not suggesting there's any abuse in that case, but in cases where there is abuse, it's long been a problem for people who haven't been able to escape or leave a marriage that's inappropriate. So, yeah, it just it's something that's been so long overdue. And as you said in the introduction, you know, it's the biggest change in 50 years. That's like all apart from the first few months of my life, all of my lifetime <laughs> in terms of, you know, having a really old fashioned system that has stoked blame and conflict and has set things off on the wrong foot. I think you said before the importance that we place at Amicable about how you start a divorce off. That's why this is so important, because if you start it off needing to blame somebody and it's important to note here, you have to start the divorce before you can ask the court to look at your financial agreement and approve your consent order. So the first thing you always have to do in this process is to start the divorce. If you're starting that from the first thing you have to do is write five or six nasty bullet points detailing why your partner is responsible for the breakdown of the marriage that makes it incredibly difficult to go on and to be thinking positively about how you're going to co-parent and how you're going to divide your finances so it is really important when you start a divorce you start it off on the right foot looking at services that can help you think about um, how you start a divorce, how you deal with your emotions so that you can be on the front foot and that you can bring a really clear sense of direction and how you want to negotiate your settlement to meetings rather than bringing the baggage of the breakdown of the marriage. That makes such a difference in terms of outcomes, the long-term and the short-term outcomes particularly, and most importantly, the outcomes for your children. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it, Kate? And we have seen people wait for the two years so they don't have to blame and try to keep it as amicable as possible. But in our experience, over that two-year period, the animosity can breed. And also when third parties get involved, other family members, you find that the waiting, if you've decided to get a divorce and you wait for two years, which have been under the old rules, then it starts to build and you end up having an acrimonious divorce. So that's all now changed. And I think that can only be for the best because I'm sure that you've come across that as well when people have waited and, you know, it's sort of bred. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the, the other thing with that is people might have separated all of their finances at the time they split up and separated, but the court takes a snapshot of your finances at the point at which you divorce. So that can lead to things looking quite unbalanced, even though they felt fair when you split them at the time. In another two years time, things can look quite different. And people sometimes don't appreciate that that's the sort of cutoff point and the standpoint that the court takes when it comes to sorting out your finances. So it can add all sorts of complications into the mix. Yeah, so all positive changes. Do you think, Kate, that we're going to see an influx of divorces post this new legislation coming in? Well, I've been describing it as a python swallowing a pig. There will be a bulge because, as you say, there will be some people who have been waiting for this. 
So there will be some pent up latent demand. There's no question about that in the system. So I think there'll be a spike similar to what we saw when Scotland introduced their no-fault divorce laws, and they've had them for several years now. And there was an immediate spike, but that went back down to normal levels within a year. So I think there will be a spike. I think if there's an uptick in divorces, I don't think it will be about the legislation. I think the long-term effects of the pandemic are far more likely to lead to an uptick in the number of people whose relationships are breaking down and who can't get help to save them. And therefore, I do think there'll be a long tail and a sting in the tail of the pandemic as far as mental health and relationship breakdown goes. Yes. And of course, if people can keep costs to a minimum as well, especially at the minute, we're looking at this energy crisis that we're going through, cost of living, inflation. If people do decide that they they have decided to divorce, to have a process that is clearer, no blame, that they can go as a couple online and make a start, surely that's got to be a positive thing at the minute, rather than forcing people to live together when they really don't want to. Yeah. And, you know, if you get into an acrimonious fight and you do end up going down the lawyer route, somebody please show me a lawyer who will genuinely fix a fee and give you a guaranteed price and will remind you that their fees don't include VAT and to add 20% to the bill. I think it's really important as we face this cost of living crisis that people find processes where there are transparent, clear pricing, fixed fees and where you can spread costs as well, because I think that's absolutely important. And doing the work as part of the divorce to really understand what your outgoings and expenses are is absolutely vital. Yeah. And just coming on to the financial side of things, because the biggest contention, as well as with regards to if people have children, is the finances and the split of the finances. And that's where you tend to get the the toing and the throwing and the arguments coming in. And as financial planners, What can we do, Kate, to help this process when couples are divorcing? Well, I think financial planning has a huge role to play in this. You know, however your clients are getting divorced, I think the most important thing is that they're able to provide a really clear and robust financial disclosure. So helping financial planners can help in, you know, collating and making sure people haven't forgotten anything because it's really important you include everything in your financial disclosure. I think another area that financial planners can help with is understanding the true outgoings. It's very easy to do a very rough calculation of how much money you think you live on without properly investigating. And I know it's tedious to write it all down, but going through the bank statements and working out what your monthly outgoings are and really thinking about whether or not you've included everything and got everything is really important. And I think, you know, there's another aspect where financial planners can be really helpful, which is trying to get people to think about the likely financial future events as well, because you sometimes get in circumstances where you're helping people divorce, they're only thinking about the here and now, because that in itself is so overwhelming. But actually, what you might need to start to think about is what are your future expenses going to be? What are the big financial events on the horizon? like weddings, driving lessons, university fees, anything to do with your kids like that, or your own big financial things that you might need, you know, new boilers, new roofs, that sort of stuff. So I think you can really help as financial planners by getting people to understand the big financial events that are on their horizons and getting them to think through how those things are going to be paid for and how you're going to navigate 
discussing the costs of those. Another really big important thing from sort of my perspective is stress testing proposals and options. So at Amicable, you know, we often generate more than one proposal or more than one option because we're trying to stay as open minded to possibilities as possible in order to get the best possible outcome for both people. So stress testing some proposals, because sometimes a proposal looks great on paper for the here and now, but it might disproportionately impact one or other of the couple. And so making sure that you can future proof those agreements and making sure they work not just in the here and now, but in the future. I think that's really vital. And I know there's lots of software that can be used to do that. But it's always great when we've you know, been able to send people to go off and get their proposals stress tested and then they come back and say, yes, that works or no, I actually need a bit more of the pension to make that work and so on and so forth. That's invaluable. And I think just helping people understand what their future income requirements are going to be. So looking at pensions in particular and helping people understand that pensions are a marital asset. They're not an individual asset. They need to go in the pot along with everything else. And the way you split a pension can have a dramatic impact on what income you get in retirement as well. So being able to work some of that through, I think all of those things are really vital areas where a financial planner can help. Yes, Kate, and those are the key areas where we work with our clients, certainly the families that we work with going through a divorce. And it puts people in a position of strength and they know their numbers and therefore they can make an informed decision. And you're right, having a one or two options that may work for divorcing couples, and especially because they can look at the cash flow forecasting together in an ideal world and make that decision that's right for both of them. It's really powerful and it's taking the time to understand those numbers and work with the right professionals to get them through and over the line and beyond because there's life beyond the divorce of course and it's painful and especially if, you, if there's children involved but looking into the future and seeing actually what does my life look like once we're through this and we're very fortunate because we get to work with individuals that have gone through divorces and we do get to see them move on with their lives into new relationships some of them remarry and it was the right thing to do but sometimes it doesn't feel like it at the time of course it is nice to be able to say to people actually if you decided that this is what you want and it's right for you then there is potentially positive outcomes uh, in the sort of the medium to longer term so Kate, in summary, what is your advice for couples who've decided to begin the divorce process? What should they do first? What are your sort of tips? Well, my top tip is, even though it's really hard, communicate together and ensure that you agree on a process for how you're going to sort things out. So I think the mistake I think people often jump to is they start off by immediately trying to solve the problem. And there is a step before that, which is agree a process for how you're going to work these things out, whether that's the financial agreements, the children agreements or starting the divorce or any of those things. But talk about the process before you talk about the content. The immediate knee jerk thing is to start deciding who's having the house and who's doing this and who's doing that. But if you think and invest just a little bit of time in agreeing on a good and positive process, 
that will pay dividends and it will also ensure that you stay on the amicable path. Because as you said earlier, Louise, you do often get people who everything starts amicable and then things get a bit heated and tense and somebody says the wrong thing. And before you know it, everyone's gone off to two separate lawyers and battle lines are drawn and there's a fight involved. So protect yourself against that possibility by investing some time in finding the right process. Now, obviously, I've talked about the amicable process. I totally appreciate it is one of many and it is not right for everybody. But investigate the different ways you can do this. And remember, as I said, you don't need a lawyer. You could try mediation. You can try, obviously, the amicable service. You might try arbitration. There are whole different ranges of different options and ways that you can run a process to get yourself divorced, make sure you can co-parent your children effectively and that you can split your assets. So my number one top tip is invest some time in finding the right process for the two of you. Wonderful. Thank you, Kate. And of course, communication is the key, isn't it? Yeah. When your relationship's breaking down, it's so easy as the expert to sit here and say, and I know it's hard and I know I've failed at it myself on many occasions during my divorce. But it is something that ultimately your emotional state where you are now and being able to get some help and support to really work through that emotional state. That, again, is maybe that's my second top tip, getting yourself into a place where you've put your own oxygen mask on first and that you are able to function properly is going to, again, pay dividends. There are just a couple of things sorting out the process, getting rid of your or working through rather your emotional turmoil that you feel around the breakdown of the marriage if you can get those things right you have given yourself a massive head start on staying amicable and navigating this successfully and keeping control of the process and that's really key yeah and of course it's a very brave thing to go through isn't it for all divorcing couples to make that decision okay thank you so much i think we'll wrap up there it was really insightful. It's really obviously very topical. These rules are coming into force just around the corner. And it's great to have your insight and input because you're right on the edge of all of this. So thanks for that. And now we've got this new, modern, more sensible era for divorcing couples, which I have to say is very much welcome. So thank you so much, Kate been a pleasure thank you so much Louise we will be recording more podcasts in the future so should you have any questions on the discussion that we've had today please do get in touch in the meantime stay well 